our, where I grew up, uh, everybody had a fair amount of land, so there was like these 10 acre plots, but we had neighbors, you could see them through the woods. And um, we had a, a neighbor that was the closest one to us, and they had, one of their kids was named Dave. Um, we, we were the same age, we went to school together from whenever we moved there, second grade on into high school. I didn't really hang around with him too much, but we drove to school together and those kinds of things. Um, and his parents would frequently go away on trips. And uh, when I was 16, his parents went away for a couple weeks on a trip and uh, left Dave in charge of the house. Um, and so he threw a party. He threw this big party. Um, I didn't attend. Um, I didn't. <laughs> um, but it's one of those kind of deals where he invited a bunch of a bunch of friends, and then the friends brought friends, and more friends, and more friends, and there was like a hundred high school kids over there, um, all night. They're swimming, and you could hear them, the music, and all this was going on, and um, went on for the for the night. Well, the next afternoon, um, Dave came over to our house. It was a Saturday, and he's knocking on the door, and um, he's Chris, you got to help me. I'm like, what? And his parents' trip got cut short. And they um, had arrived back at O'Hare Airport and were, had called him and said, hey, Dave, we're on the way home. We'll be there in an hour. And um, he said, you've got to help me. I've got to clean up. And um, I went over there, and literally the pool was, you almost couldn't see the water. There were so many cans floating in the pool, and there was vomit everywhere, and the inside of the house was a mess. There was wet clothes and underwear, and there was just everything. And I looked, and I thought, this will take a week. Um, needless to say, um, it didn't go well for Dave. Um, <laughs> I basically abandoned him. I said, oh, man, this, this is not good. His parents came at a time unexpected, and um, it, didn't, it didn't go well. A little closer to home, um, my dad took uh, my two older brothers, uh, who were about 15, 16 at the time. I was about 11 or 12 right in there. And uh, one of their friends who was living with us at the time uh, on a trip in the summer um, up to up into Canada, we went fishing on a fishing trip. And uh, we headed there. We were there for the week and fished. And we arrived back because uh, it was in the summer. We were in Michigan. And we arrived at this little airport in Muskegon, Michigan. Paul Garzoni knows it well. Um, but it's a little tiny airport. And back in the days of no security and just hanging around. And so we got there. My mom was supposed to pick us up with the Ford Country Squire station wagon and load us in, and, um, and she was delayed. We got there, and Mom wasn't there. I was like, man, Mom, where are you at? So we're standing there with our poles and bags and my dad and my brothers and her friend, and the guy who ran the fishing lodge had given my dad a bunch of uh, cigars. Um, and uh, my dad smoked cigarettes. He didn't smoke cigars, but he had these cigars, and so we said, hey, it'd be really funny if mom shows up and we're all holding cigars, she'll freak out. So let's all, let's all hold the cigars. So my dad's church, church, he passed them all out and we're pretending, you know. Um, and they weren't those like, you ever had those gum ones, those chewing gum ones? When your kids are, those things are great. Anyways, so we're, we're holding these cigars and, and my mom's not showing up. And she's only like, the house is like 10 minutes from the airport. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. She's not showing up. And so my brother said, well, mom's not coming. Let's just light these things. And um, my dad, I'm not sure about his parenting decisions um, in general, but he goes, yeah, sure, go ahead and light those things up. And um, not me, not me, of course. Um, and so um, my, <laughs> smoking these cigars um, out in front of the airport, and my mom still didn't come, and she still didn't come, and she still didn't come. And finally she comes rolling in, 
and we are all as sick as can be, as sick as can be. A fine, long delay without good results again. Um, we uh, get the same story in some ways in Matthew 24 and 25, a little different context. But um, we, uh, we started this last week, and we'll finish it with the parable about the sheep and the goats um, next week. But a really hard section as Jesus, in this final discourse of his five, is talking about, uh, as we said, this coming of the destruction of Jerusalem, but even looking beyond that to the second coming of Christ, which we're still waiting for, and the things that will happen at that time. Um, he addresses, the, the uh, in Matthew 24 and 25, he addresses the second coming, and it's going to come unexpected. And as, as uh, Rich prayed, it's coming after a long delay. It has been a long time um, waiting. And the section involved Jesus answering two questions, as we saw last week, the disciples asked when they looked at this, the temple and they were all in awe about it, and Jesus says, it's all coming down. And so they asked two questions like, What's, when's it going to happen, and, and what are the signs to know that this is going to happen? And so Jesus, in this discourse, is answering those questions. When will it happen, and what will be the sign? And he proceeds to answer the second question first, and we began that last week as we began to look at these various signs, and we talked about them, where they're happening, where they're going from. Keep in mind, as we look at this, just as whenever you look at prophecy, the most important questions are not when, or what it's going to look like, the most important questions we looked at these last week is, how are we to live in light of that? What kind of people are we to be? Um, how should we be responding to the things that happen in our midst as we watch them go? And when the world looks at us in the midst of the things taking place and the things in the future, what do they see in the church? What do they see in us? We got through verse 14 last week. We just did the first 14 verses. And so we'll pick up in chapter, verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 15 today. Um, we're going to go all the way through a couple of the parables, so a pretty quick overview, and then we're going to focus on one parable this morning. But Jesus, in verse 15, begins to, continues to talk about the signs to look for, indicating that these things are going to happen. Um, and so let's take a few minutes and look at that before uh, moving on. Verses 15 through 28 of Matthew 24 as stated last week, and at least in my opinion, relate both to the destruction of Jerusalem that happens in AD 70, but that's a precursor, kind of a foretaste of what's still going to happen, um, actually still continue happening in the world in various places, and will happen someday ahead of us. So both take place. So they're going to experience and see the destruction of Jerusalem, and we'll think of the things Jesus is talking about here. But Jesus also talks about things that go beyond that, particular his second coming and the things um, in terms of the end times and the judgment. And he encourages them, as we saw this week, not to be misled and not to be deceived and to be, be watchful and attentive to the things happening around them. So he starts talking about the signs and saying, pay attention to what's happening around you. Be watchful, be attentive. Um, just a side note, what does it mean to be watchful and attentive? Um, interesting, the, the church of Thessalonica got confused. Some of them, all they did is they sat on a hill, got rid of all their stuff, and they sat and waited. And they just looked. That's not exactly what God's asking us to do. We're not supposed to ignore our, our life and our days or just sit back and waiting for the second coming. I believe um, to be watchful and attentive is to be present in what's going on, to be present in our 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 moments of our day, to be paying attention to what God is doing, 
um, to see how he's working, to pay attention to our work and our family and the enjoyments that God makes to us, yet at the same time see all of those things from God's perspective and not get sucked into just seeing them from the perspective of the world where we, we ignore what's the bigger picture and the bigger story, but to look at all these moments of our day and our life from God's perspective, even see our material things, which can be good things in a different light because we know where the story is going. The danger is, and perhaps I'm the only one here, um, is it's easy to get rooted here. Rooted meaning this becomes all there is. This place in my life, in my moments, and we get, we get deeply rooted here, and this place becomes the only thing. Um, the word for that is being settled. Um, interesting that the, the religious leaders that Jesus criticizes had become settled. And it's not that they were doing bad things necessarily, but they, they forgot that other kind of perspective. They forgot that there was a bigger story. We get settled in a way that forgets that we're citizens of a, a different kingdom. And then we lose any good story to bring to this kingdom here. And um, it's hard, isn't it? to be citizens of another kingdom, but we are here and this matters and the things that we do matter and our day matters and what happens the rest of the state all matters. And yet trying to move through that with a different perspective and not become settled here. And it happens really easy. Like it happens by the end of the day tomorrow. And so we always have to be vigilant, to be watchful and alert, which is what Jesus is gonna talk about here as we move through this section. Continuing on here, um, verse 27. As Jesus starts talking about, um, we looked a little bit at this last week, all these things that are happening and, and this, uh, the desolation of the temple and people are fleeing. Um, verse 27, Jesus says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, it's, verse 26 says, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of of the Son of Man, talking about his second coming. That's clearly talking about the day when Jesus is coming back, a day yet future that we are still supposed to be looking for and waiting for that's ahead of us. And then he continues in verse 29. It talks about these cosmic things happening. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Interesting, it says the sign of the Son of Man, which most commentators say we have no idea what that is. But we'll all know it when we see it, apparently. So these, whether you take these things literally in terms of the, the moon and the sun, or they're just figurative metaphors of the shaking of all creation that happens as Jesus comes back to restore all things. Um, it's interesting here, it says... Um, and that all the tribes of the earth are going to do what? It says there's mourning. It doesn't mean everybody mourns, but there's mourning among all, people of all different tribes and people. They mourn when they see it. Um, it'll be a day of judgment. And that's what's hard about this section for all those who are not ready. Um, those who have continued in unbelief and have refused to turn from sin and put their trust in the work of Christ, it says when suddenly they see it, there is this outpouring of mourning. Um, over things. They mourn as they come face to face um, with Jesus. And then it goes on to state in verse 30 that they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Interesting, when Jesus comes back, 
It's not a hidden event. Um, somehow, um, it's just we, everybody sees it. And they see who he is, um, filled with glory and great power. And I love that picture of the clouds, that he comes on the clouds of heaven. Hear this from Daniel chapter 7, talking about um, the same event. He says, I saw in the night visions, Daniel 7, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there comes one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Talking about Jesus coming before the Father. And to him, Jesus, it's who it's talking about, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It talks about uh, coming on the clouds of heaven. And that's the one we wait for. Um, and that is still at work in the world today. In the Old Testament, God often shows his glory in the image of clouds. So we have the Israelites being led through the wilderness by a, a, this pillar of a cloud. We have God's glory coming in a cloud on the tabernacle, um, filling it with all of his Shekinah glory. Psalm 104, I love that picture. It says God makes the chariot, the clouds like his chariots. Um, they're like the dust of his feet. Isaiah 19 uh, talks about the Lord riding um, on a swift cloud. Um, this, 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 this big picture of, of his greatness and his majesty as we sang about. And then this section closes with verse 35. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words um, will not pass away. And it's um, not only just to give attention to what he says, but he's kind of highlighting the end of this, saying what I have spoken will happen, is what he's saying. It's all going to happen, and it'll be seen. Interesting, when you, if you go back to Daniel 7, and Daniel gets his vision of, all these kingdoms finally failing and, and God in his glory, Jesus coming back. Um, it says that Daniel was, his face turned white and he was shaken by it, by the vision. And I sometimes wonder if we um, get so settled and he has delayed for so long that it doesn't shake us up anymore. Um, it just seems like a Almost, a, it, we wouldn't say it's a fairy tale, but it just seems like it'll, it's not going to happen. It's so far away. Um, and we lose um, a bit of the, the magnitude of what the coming of Christ brings in the end when he completes his kingdom, he fulfills his work, and he restores all things to himself. And it, um, it should shake us up a little bit with uh, a little bit of um, alertness. <laughs> And to pay attention, um, to, to step closer, it should shake us up with some anticipation of, of our desire to see him again, um, or are we just locked into life as usual, um, and I think we're supposed to be shaken a little bit by it. Then in verses 36 through 44, Jesus finally gets around to answer their first question, um, when will it happen? And he gives a short answer. He says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows but the Father only. So referring to the days coming, that future day, Jesus says he basically doesn't tell them um, the day. And here, as I said, he's specifically referring to the second coming, the second advent of Jesus. Um, and he uses the illustration of Noah in the flood. I'm not going to read through that, but he talks about in the day of Noah, we were, people were just going along like usual. Um, even while Noah's building away, everybody's just living life as normal. It says, verse 39, they were unaware. And then because they're unaware, it says that they were, they were swept away. And in that particular case, by the waters of the flood, 
uh, implying an example of, of God's judgment that sweeps the people away because they're unaware of what's taking place. They haven't watched for it. So although we don't know when it's going to happen, he says, don't be unaware about it. Be paying attention to what's going on around you um, so that we are ready and paying attention today because um, the things that we do today matter for tomorrow and they build on each other. And so he pour, implores them in these, these verses here to stay awake um, and to be ready, to stay awake and to be ready. And then Jesus follows this as he does so well. He talks about things, and then he gives illustrations of it. He gives pictures of it so we can get a hold of it. So we've got these, um, there's actually four parables. We're going to do, uh, I just want to walk through three of them, just highlight how they're similar, and then we're just going to look at one of them this morning, and then we'll go to the fourth one next week. So the three parables are the wise and foolish servant, the, uh, the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, and then the parable of the servants with the talents. And they each have something in common. There are some similar things that Jesus says. He just says the same things with different stories to, to drive it home for us. Jesus just talked about the days of Noah, and people were going along like, like time had no end. And they were caught by surprise and unready. And so as because of that, they were, they were subject to judgment. They were, they were swept away. Um, verse 44 ends, it says, Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so these three parables each highlight the importance of being ready. So parable number one, we have this master of a household, and, he, and he's going to go away for a period of time, which is the, the leaving of Jesus, ascending, and there's a gap of time between his uh, first advent and his ascension and that they were still waiting for. And he puts the responsibility to steward his house and all of his belongings on a servant, which is what we've been talking about. The Israelites, the, the nation of Israel, was supposed to steward God's mission and his word, and they failed to do so. Now, as the church, we've been given that responsibility to steward God's mission, to steward his word. And he goes away for a long time. And there's two possible outcomes in this parable, and Jesus shares them both. There's one, you have the servant who is wise and faithful, and when the master shows up unexpectedly, um, he's working. He's just being faithful. He's doing his job. He's busy, and he's given a blessing. And then you have the foolish servant, which we don't want to be that guy, right? Um, he says in verse 48, the master's return is long delayed. He's like, who knows when he's coming back, right? So he squanders his time, and he squanders what's been given to him to steward and the master returns unexpectedly, and his judge actually says he's cut in pieces, and he's put in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very strong words to talk about the, the, what happens when we've squandered those things and the great loss that happens in that. So Jesus, these aren't just like, oh, we should kind of get busy, you know, encourage you to do some more. Jesus is saying this is important. This really matters what we get here. Then the second parable, is, um, which we'll come back to in more detail in just a few minutes, but note that there's similarities in the second parable that Rich read. Um, the bridegroom is delayed. There's a delay in time, just like in the first parable. Some are prepared and receive a blessing, and some are caught unprepared, and they don't get the blessing. We saw that in the first parable as well. And the result of those who are unprepared, it says, a, a sad verse, it says, the door was shut. And the bridegroom says, I do not know you. So similarly to the first parable. And then the third parable, um, 
also has the same elements in it. We have a master, and it says that he goes on a journey. We discover later on in the parable that it was a long journey. So again, we have, have uh, the master leaving for a period of time and entrusting his finances into these three different servants. Um, they're, they're supposed to steward the finances for the master. And then it says, after a long time, verse 19 of chapter uh, there, 20, where are we at, 25, um, that the, the master returns and after this long delay, and some are found had been faithful and were working, and they're given a blessing, and one is discovered who, who squanders what he's been giving, and he misuses it, and he's judged and cast as, a, says, a worthless servant into outer darkness filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so all three, similar thing. A master who goes on a journey, there's this delay of time, and we're called to steward something, whether it's the oil and the lamps and being ready, or whether it's the talents or the, the, the household. And then after a long delay, the master returns. And what does he find? What does he find? Are we ready? And that's the picture for us today as we sit in this in-between time of the first advent and the coming second advent, when God is not really absent in the sense that he's at work here and his Holy Spirit is here amongst us, and yet waiting for Jesus, there's this gap of time, and we are called to steward what God has given to us as his people. As I said, they all reflect upon the time between Christ's first and second advent, which we can call the church age, this in-between time that we're a part of. And it appears that there is a delay in his arrival. Interesting, and Peter says, it, says he's, it seems like it's been a long time, but he's actually delayed his arrival because he wants to draw more people in. And so he says, be faithful about the work. Don't let it be hindered as he waits. And we're to be found working, not standing around looking at the sky, although it was, this, the sky's been beautiful lately. Um, it was awesome when that art show last night, somebody opened the blinds because the sunset was like another painting on the back there. It was so cool. This morning, I don't know if you were up really early, I was walking my dog early this morning, and there was just a little sliver of moon left. Um, it was just so beautiful. So it's okay to look at the sky, but not standing around um, all day looking at the sky because there is a, a finality, a, a consummation of the fullness of the kingdom. And there's also judgment, and it appears to be final and complete. So let's look specifically at the parable that Rich read for us in chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, um, and just draw out the exact same things we've just talked about here. The kingdom of heaven, it says, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. The ten virgins are basically bridesmaids. They're the attendants for the, the, the bride who's getting married. Um, and it says, then the kingdom of heaven will then be like... Um, it's, it's looking ahead to a future time. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. And um, these bridesmaids here, marriage celebrations, by the way, lasted for a week. I don't know how they afforded that. I mean, just a two-hour a two wedding kind of will do, a, do you in anyways. Um, and uh, a whole week. And so the, um, this story that we have here in Matthew 25 centers on the first night. And what the groom would do, he would, um, he would journey um, at some point. He would travel to the bride's home and walk there, and there'd be a processional, and he'd gather up his bride, and he'd bring him back to his home, and they would make a big celebration out of this, and so the bridesmaids, um, the bride sends the bridesmaids out ahead. You wait for him, because he's coming, so they, would, they went up part way between 
the bride's house and the grooms, and they're waiting for the groom to come, and then they're going to escort him, and they're all going to be excited about this moment that he's going to come to her house and, and take the bride and bring him back. And so the, these bridesmaids are partway in between, and they're waiting like we are today. Um, and it was night, apparently, so they, they had lamps so they could, they could see their way. And so they had oil in their lamps, and they're waiting to meet him to bring and go with them back to the groom's home where the feast would begin for a week of celebration. By the way, the, the feast is a picture of, of eternity with, in the presence of God on this new heaven and the new earth and, and feasting with him. And verses 2 and 3 say it was night, so they had oil lamps that they could use to light the way. And five of them, and I have no idea of what the significance of 10 and 5 is. Um, there's probably something there. But five took extra oil, and five did not. So you have five of them were thinking ahead, being prepared, so that there can be a word, because they don't know when the guy's going to come. Um, and five did not. They just brought their lamps. And it says here, just as we're waiting for Jesus, the groom is delayed. So something's going on. He's fixing things up, or the caterer didn't arrive on time. Whatever was going on, the groom is delayed, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they fall asleep. They all fall asleep, um, this in-between time. And suddenly, without warning, there's this great shout. He's coming. He's coming. They're, they're all say he's coming, and they all wake up. And the, the, we have these five already. They trim their oil, and they put some extra oil in because their lamps had gone out because they had waited so long. They had run out. They filled them back up, and they light the way. And then there's five are left, and their lamps are out. And there's no light there, and they have no extra oil to put, put into their lamps. Interesting, they ask the other bridesmaids to give them some oil, and they tell them no. Um, I'm not sure what that's about. Um, it, maybe it's just a piece of the story. Jesus tells great stories. Maybe it's the fact that you, you cannot carry another person's spiritual life for them. You can't do it. We each do it ourselves. Um, so while the foolish, the unprepared, the unready, they go off to find a store that's open um, in the middle of the night, and the procession moves on, and the groom arrives, and the bridesmaids, and the bride, and the groom, and they all gather, and they go on this great journey to get the bride, and they return and go back to the groom's house, um, and they move on to the feast, which is this picture of eternity together. Um, verse 10, it says, those who were ready went in. And um, people, ever since Jesus and before, have been entering in as, they've, as, as we go through life, and then there's still a day coming when this final feast happens. And then we have this, um, the other five finally get their oil, apparently, and they show up at the door to come in. And this is where there's, Jesus always does these little twists on stories. Because normally what would happen if they showed up late, just like at the vineyard, um, <laughs> the door's still open, okay? The, the door is still open. Actually, we should lock the back door sometimes, see what happens. Be, um, they would have let him in. So everybody's expecting, as Jesus tells the story, they get to go in too. But that's not how the story goes. It says the door was shut. And it had to do that was shut fast. Um, and so we have these two surprises. In real life, I said the door would be open. They could arrive late if necessary. But in the parable, there's this twist. And the door is closed, and it's shut and will not be opened. And then this next thing, they say, they call out to the, to the bridegroom to let him in. Um, these words, Lord, Lord, open the door. And then this, this, these hard words, the groom says he never knew them. Never knew them. And this, this story ends, and they're shut out from the feast. 
Reminds us of Matthew 7, 21. It says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it ends the parable. Jesus says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day um, nor the hour. Um, interesting, in these parables, unlike the Pharisees and most of the Jewish nation, they were, they were unprepared. They were not looking. They were just had, had gone into this black place and they had let the word languish. They had let their sense of what they were supposed to be about all languish, and they were unready. Um, I like that uh, one of those, uh, I remember in one of the, in Matthew earlier, um, Jesus is talking to, I think maybe it was the lawyer or somebody that asked him a question, and he says to him, you are, you're near the kingdom of God. You're almost there, but he wasn't. Um, those who thought they were in discover that they're not. And they call out because they have drifted so far from understanding what it was about. And when they call out, he says, I never knew you. So be faithful, be prepared, um, be at work. A couple just conclusions from this as we've, as we've just kind of zoomed through this. Um, I don't think this means that we can't be, know for certain whether the door is open to us. Um, scriptures are quite clear that we can know that we are part of God's household. 1 John 5 says that whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's pretty clear. Um, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, you may know that you have eternal life. And are putting our trust in him, we become his children, and we can know that. But this, and so we, we grab onto that. I know it, and I can rest on that. But let's be careful not to water down and dilute what Jesus has said or to just put the warning aside and going, it has nothing to do with us. Um, because there were so many in Jesus' day who thought they were, everything was fine and they weren't. There must be belief, um, but faith always shows up with fruit. It always does. It, it just, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And um, that's really what this is about. Are they bearing the fruits? Are they being stewards? Are they, are they carrying out what God called, uh, are we carrying out what God called us to do? Are our lives showing the fruit that there's been repentant hearts? And that we have genuine belief. As I said, in that one encounter Jesus had, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Um, but he actually wasn't. So, um, in the church today, during this in-between, um, we need to heed his words. We need to listen. They should grab a hold of our heart. They should arrest our attention. So, little response, what can we be doing and so be found faithful? In a sense, what is that oil we're supposed to be stewarding, taking care of as his believers today? Um, four things, and there's more, but just four just to mention. Four things that we should be stewards of and be faithful about. Number one is the word. We're called to be stewards of the word. Scriptures say we're supposed to rightly handle the word of truth. The nation of Israel had drifted from the truth. They had reworked the word according to their own desires And they were failed to be good stewards of it and passing it along. Um, we're called to store it up in our hearts. So be stewards of the word. Um, some of us are reading, are working on our reading, trying to get back in the word and read regular. It matters. It stores up in our heart and it makes a difference. So be stewards of the word. Second of all, we need to be stewards of his mission. If I am too bound up in my own life, um, I'll ignore God's call to participate in his mission. Um, and that's what we are really here for. 
Um, we are to speak to of and demonstrate the fullness of the gospel in all the places we go. So we talk about when we go out of this church, we carry the kingdom everywhere we go. We worship in all we do with our hands because they're all pictures of God and what he does. And we have to be good stewards of the mission he's given to us and not just get caught up in, this is just for me. Um, it's not. This is, our lives are here for the world. Third, we're to be stewards of one another. Just real briefly, it says, love one another, right, as I've loved you. We need to love and care for each other well and be good stewards. The church does not always do that well. Um, and we need to be stewards of one another. And then lastly, I would just say we need to be stewards of our time. Um, to see it from God's perspective. I was really struck, um, in my, one of the things in my Sabbath retreat that I just realized God's sovereign over time. And then it occurred to me, oh, yeah, it means God's sovereign over my time. And there isn't any such thing as my time. There just isn't. It's not mine. Um, and our, our minutes matter, our moments. And in whether we're playing with our kids or driving, going to the grocery store or reading the word or worship, all those things, that's all God's time. And we need to be good stewards of it. God alone holds the length of our days. He's sovereign over it. My day does not belong to me. Um, it's his. And that's good news, by the way, because um, we can't add anything to it anyways. Um, and then to be good stewards of that. How are we using that um, to draw closer to him and to participate in his mission. Bobby, if you could uh, bring the music team up. Every week, uh, with the tables here and on the side and in the back, um, during this in-between time, between Jesus um, gathering with his disciples around the table and the Last Supper, and this future feast in God's realized kingdom, we come every single week again and again and again, and we gather around the table. The table looks back at his sacrifice, and we look back with gratitude for what he's done for us. The table looks to today, um, the, the coming up, we, we say this over and over again, it realigns us to God's purpose and his character and his mission, reminds us what we're about every week, because every seven days we drift and we forget, and so we come back again presently, and we're realigned, and it looks also ahead. Jesus says to the day when we'll eat it anew with him. The, the table is for believers. If you know Jesus, the table is for you. Here at the vineyard, we, we break off the bread as his body given for us, and we dip it in the cup, his blood that was shed for us. So after I read these scriptures and pray, um, as we sing, you are invited to the table. From Luke 22, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat of it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took, I love that because Jesus is waiting too for us. And he took the bread and he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the table. Thank you for the weekly drawing and invitation for us to be realigned with you once again. We thank you for coming and giving your life for us. And we pray that you would be honored in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.